0: Well we're continuing in our series, we're calling Certain Truth. And we're going to look at another one of Jesus' unusual parables. He has a number of those. And this is found in Luke chapter 16. If you're using that red church Bible, it's page 651. We're calling this message, as I mentioned before, Buying Friends. And I don't know if you know, how many of you know that it's possible to buy a friend? Yeah, it is possible. We're going to talk about that. Um, But we're also going to find out why we need to buy friends. Two weeks ago, we looked at the parable of the father and the two sons, and which is sometimes called the story of the prodigal. And Luke placed today's parable, Luke, the writer of the of the gospel, placed today's parable immediately after the story of the, the two sons and the dad. And I think it's an important point to make that this is a parable about stewardship, about management of resources, uh, maybe as a way to remind us that the wild, wasteful Living of the younger brother, the younger son, while fully forgiven by the father, really is not the ideal way to live. And you don't need to be a prodigal child to be loved by God and come into his family. So we're going to read Luke chapter 16. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word, starting at verse one. We're going to read 15 verses. It goes like this. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day, a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you're going to be fired. Or quite literally, it says, because you are no longer going to be manager. Well, the manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches and I'm too proud to beg Ah. I know how to ensure I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. Verse five. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. And how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him a thousand bushels of wheat was the reply here. The manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. Now, the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it was tr- It is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than they are the children of light. Verse nine. Here's the lesson, Jesus says. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. And then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. If you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Verse 12. And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard all this and scoffed at him. And he said to them, you like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. And what this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. We thank the Lord for his word. Let's be seated together. The New Living Translation gives a little title to the section, calls it the parable of the shrewd manager. I looked up shrewd, by the way, in a thesaurus because it's not a word we use a whole lot. Uh, It's descriptive, but it gave me words like astute, cagey, crafty, ingenious, judicious, keen, perceptive, probing, wily, sharp, slick, sly, smart, slippery, smooth, or streetwise. Yeah, you get the picture? I have an acquaintance who's a lot like this shrewd manager. Um, For example, he's had many jobs, actually, but in one particular place, he had a really good job, good pay, good work environment, plenty of responsibility. But he played fast and loose with the boss's business and the boss's trust, and he got fired. Now, that's justice. He got what he deserved. And then about a month later, the boss reconsidered and said, you know, I really want to give him a second chance. And he hired him back. And that's mercy. And when there's a point to that, when Jesus tells a story, it's usually illustrating the relationship between God and people, how we're going to relate to God um, now or in the future. So typically the authority figure represents God. So that's represented variously by a father, king, the master, the rich man, the owner and so on. And the servants or workers in the parables generally represent you and me. So in this story, the rich man does what he needs to do. He dismisses the dishonest manager. At least dismisses him from that position. We don't know if he actually left the employee of the manager. That's not explicitly stated. It just says he's no longer the manager. So that's justice. He lost his job. And yet, he gives him the chance to set things right without sending him to prison. That's mercy. We could say it this way. The Lord... Is merciful and he's just. You know, the day is going to come when you're going to meet the Lord and you're going to look back on all those situations that you said in life. Well, that's unfair. Well, that's not just. And you're going to say, oh, oh, I see what God is doing. God is a just God. He is fair in the true sense of the word. And he is merciful. He withholds the judgment so often. That we rightly deserve. Our very lives, your life and my life, it's a gift from God. He created you, He loves you, He's made you a manager of many things, of money and relationships and abilities and and more than that. And yet, in spite of the trust that God's given to you and me, not one of us has perfectly, um, you know, been perfectly faithful. None of us have perfectly handled those resources. And so in that respect, we all deserve to be dismissed from our position as manager of the master's resources. And yet God, in his mercy, gives us the opportunity to make things right, to turn around, to turn ourselves around. And even using his resources, his grace, his forgiveness to do that. Isn't that amazing? God says, You're going the wrong way. You need to go this way. By the way, I'm going to help you. I'm going to make it possible for you to go the right way. So Jesus was reminding his audience that God is both just and merciful. And just a little question I would ask is, you know, have you come to that point of of admitting, of acknowledging that God is just. And accepted his mercy. To say God is just means I've yielded to him and to his will and his way. Now, the dishonest manager understood that there's something vital here that you and I need to grasp as well. And this is that today matters tomorrow. Now, tomorrow doesn't matter today. But today will matter tomorrow. Everything I do now. is is going to somehow have an impact later. What I do or what I don't do with money, with time, with relationships, with education, with integrity, even how I use my body, how I treat others, it will all matter. And who of us is perfect? None of us. None of us. Including me. Right? But we're learning that everything today matters tomorrow. The manager realized, well, I'm going to have a serious problem tomorrow because... I'm out of a job, but I can do something now to change that. I can do something today that's going to make tomorrow different. I, I wonder if you've ever worried about something that's in the future. Maybe an exam or an appointment or a bill. Did you ever notice how much worrying helped you? Isn't that amazing? Amazing how it's a big, fat zero. Worrying doesn't help. But you could still do something about tomorrow, today. Let me give an example. You students, anybody have a a test or a big test this week coming up? Or in the next couple weeks? No? You guys, get on it. Come on. (laughs) College students, somebody help me out. Anybody got something big coming up? Okay, Roy, you got some big stuff coming up, right? Now, will it help to stress about that thing coming up? No. But is there any way you can prepare today to meet what's going to happen? That exam or whatever you're facing? Yeah. You can prepare, you can study, you can plan, you can call, phone a friend. Hey, did you get the notes from the class that I missed? There's any number of things you can do in your life. Some of you are worried about your health. There are some things I can do today. In fact, for example, at two o'clock today, I am on schedule to run um, see how fast I can run a mile. So I'm doing something today that's going to help me down the road rather than just worrying about when my heart attack is coming. So... Um, Today matters tomorrow, right? Now, the manager realized he could enact generosity today to improve his situation, his job prospects tomorrow. He used the resources entrusted to him by the manager, by the master. This is what's so amazing. He used the master's resources to better his future. Now, is he really cheating? Well, it's. Commentators look at this little differently. This is one of those really challenging things to look at. And I land on the side that say, no, he, he did not. He was not cheating at this point because he still had responsibility over the master's affairs. It's a bit like the manager at a used car lot, right? Who says, well, you know, let's make a deal. That manager does not own the cars on that lot. But he, has been given the, he or she has been given the responsibility and the authority to even discount those cars and maybe discount a car below cost just to get it off the lot. So, the difference here in this manager's case is that while before he was likely lining his own, you know, handling his master's resources and possibly lining his own pockets, he was being careless with it, that was dishonest. He now used his master's wealth to benefit others, which was generous. It's not benefiting himself any longer except by second hand. So these others still owed a debt to the master, just as every unbeliever still owes a sin debt to God. Every one of us, until we have entrusted our life to Christ and made him Lord of our life, has a sin debt before God. And this manager went to those others and says, hey, what's your bill? Let's knock it down. What's your bill? Let's knock that down. He still has the responsibility to do that. So the point is, God has given you even worldly resources today to benefit your future tomorrow by extending generosity to others. And at the same time, and you look at that in a spiritual way, we have the opportunity to make things easier for people to get to Christ let me let me look take you back to verses 8 and 9 for this really explicit lesson Jesus points out. Verse 8 says the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it's true that the children of this world the children of this world, right, are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than they are than are the children of the light. Honestly, Christians we tend to be really gullible. Verse 9, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. And then when your earthly possessions are gone, they'll welcome you to an eternal home. Let's put it this way. We build the kingdom by winning friends, not winning arguments. We build the kingdom by winning friends, not winning arguments. Now, I know there's no mention here about arguments, but Jesus is talking about making friends for an eternal benefit. And I honestly have never made a friend By arguing. May have lost a few, but I've never made one. How many of us remember the yuppie bumper sticker from the 80s? He who dies with the most toys wins. Anybody remember that? Anybody have that on your car? (laughs) Well, I hope not. Turns out that the point of life is not to die atop a massive pile of wealth. It's to use the resources that God gives you, that God enables you to accumulate, et cetera, to help others to meet Jesus and spend eternity with you in His kingdom. For those people to spend eternity with you in God's kingdom, it is possible to buy friends. I'll give you a little story. Um, my wife Becky was working one of the nights she was working this week. I sent her text and hey, do you want should I bring you a cup of tea? And she said yes. And then she sent this text message back with Starbucks speak. You know Starbucks speak? Like, you can't really understand it, but the barista knows what you're saying if you just read it from your text message. Um, and so I, I was making a Starbucks run for, for her, her and her coworkers, bought some foofy drinks for a few of them. I, I don't really, it's fine. Um, I didn't need to. I could have said, no, I'm too busy. Or I'm not spending that money. You know, et cetera. I could have come up with something. But for about a $15 investment, here's what I got. Becky's coworkers are thrilled. Uh, I'm the husband of the month. (laughs) Right? It strengthened friendships. It cast Christians in a good light because they all know I'm a pastor. Right? And as the Lord gives opportunity... Those moments then allow us down the road to speak truth and love into someone's life. Not bad for 15 bucks. By the way, in the parable, the master commends the manager's shrewdness. This one is where we really struggle a little bit. I think it's a bit confusing. I don't know if it is for you. Is the rich man congratulating dishonesty? Well, not really. Culturally, the ability to wheel and deal... Like This is an admirable quality. It's a skill like, wow, he's good. That's that's kind of what's going on here. So, you know, like we mentioned earlier, he was allowed the discretion to make those discounts. So from a cultural perspective, he's a clever fellow. I think I've got time to tell you one more little story. We um, I grew up on a small raspberry farm. And I, I, those, if you know about raspberries, a raspberry is a crop that gets harvested over the course of a month. Every, about every two or three days you go through and you, you pick all the berries and, and you've got to keep going through. So for most of my growing up years, we always hired a big crew of pickers and they, they would come through. Well, you know, I don't know, 25 or plus years ago, uh, my dad switched over just hiring a contractor who would just bring in a crew and they'd come through in a day and it would be done. And all our farm workers at that time uh, tended to be uh, immigrants from India and they they were awesome they worked hard loved having them around did good work i mean just it was really really helpful for us and uh, but i remember having this conversation with this with this one contractor i i think i would it would be offensive for me to use any accents here so i'll just do this straight up but he's about 35 and he said He says, you guys need to understand, you make it way too easy for us. In my culture, we do whatever we can to get ahead. It doesn't matter what we need to do. The priority for us in our culture is getting ahead. Look at me. He says, I'm 35. I've got 200 acre farms paid for cash. I said, you you make it too easy. And I just, I, I thought of him this week when I looked at this. The master had to admire that dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. Remember that conversation. This is an almost 30 years ago conversation. And I admired that dishonest rascal. Like, wow, you've got this thing figured out. So there is something in there that, that we understand. But Jesus is not telling us to be dishonest with our employers. Please hear me. The point is that we build the kingdom by winning friends, not winning Arguments. Let's carry on into verses 10 and following. It says, if you are faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you, will be, um, you won't uh, be honest with greater responsibilities. If you're trustworthy about worldly wealth, if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Here's the thing. M- money is not true wealth. Money is not true wealth, but it's a test of stewardship. It's a test of your management, if you want to use another word in there. See, some would say, well, it's mine to do what I please. I went to work. I earned it. I got the paycheck. I went to the bank. It's mine. I don't get this whole, it's all God's business because God wasn't there at 6 a.m. when I went to work. God wasn't the one turning the lock in the door. I went to work and I did it. I did this myself. Thank you very much. That person has yet to understand that it's all from God. The ability to go, the ability to earn, the connections that you made, the the, the resources that come to you—it's all God's. It all belongs to Him, but it's yours to manage as you please. Think about that. That's that steward in the story. It was it was His to manage as He pleased. Now it got him in trouble. It's not all ours. And when you live by biblical principles, there's a good chance you will accumulate wealth over your lifetime. I mean, you work hard, you stay out of debt, you invest wisely, you care for your family, you give generously. That's what happens. Those are the principles that God's given us. But wealth is not earned just to serve ourselves. I mean, this life is so ridiculously short. 80, 90, 100 years, it goes fast, doesn't it? An eternity is forever. It's endless. So God, in His generosity, says, Manage this. And we decide if we want to enjoy it all right now for ourselves or enjoy eternal investments forever. We get it all now for a short while or we get to enjoy it for eternity. And when we meet Jesus... And when we meet people in heaven, because we invested in the kingdom, some of whom, you know, you're going to meet somebody who says, I just want to thank you, you don't know me. But I was invited to that church in Thailand that you helped pay for. Because of that, I heard the gospel. And because of that, I'm here today. So thank you for cutting that $27 check. Because it made a difference. That's the kind of, I believe, those are the kind of moments you're going to experience In eternity, and you're going, Oh, why did I stop at 27? Don't miss Jesus' axiom in verse 10 if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large things. If you're dishonest in little things, you won't be trusted with greater responsibility. A steward is a manager, and good stewardship and kingdom investment. Start right where you are, right today, right now. See, if you're waiting until you have lots of money before you're going to be generous, guess what? You will never be generous. It won't happen. And probably you'll never have lots of money to to be generous with. You might. Statistics consistently show that, in America at least, that the poor... Give more than the wealthy. In fact, the less income you have, the higher your percentage of giving typically tends to be. And recent I was recent, reading a recent poll that of those who are income earners, uh, the higher income earners, they've actually been dropping and dropping, and the low income earners actually, the, the teeter-totter is going over. So it's a remarkable thing. And um, please hear me, I'm, I'm not... Not speaking against wealth, not speaking against enjoying what God's given you, not speaking against going on a vacation, driving a decent car. Those aren't the things I'm talking about. But I doubt you've ever met an unhappy, generous person. Think about this for a minute. Just think through in your, in your mind. Have you ever met an unhappy, generous person? There's a real joy that comes in giving. And if you aren't giving joyfully, maybe that's not true generosity, The words joyful and generous go together. Because there are times, and in my own life I can say this to be true, there are times when stewardship is a discipline. Where you just don't feel like, oh, I don't know, I don't want to do this. So there are times when you push through and you remind yourself to be joyful about this. I think about our early years of ministry. I've shared this with you before. Becky was a stay-at-home mom and I was working for Peanuts, honestly. And and there were times when writing that tithe check was just, just tough. It was just it wasn't easy. We said no to things that others were enjoying because we trusted what Jesus says is true, that that we can take what we have here and store eternal treasure, heavenly treasure, that if we can be trusted with worldly resources, we'll be trusted with heavenly riches. But God then was also generous with other ways. I think of the number of people that, you know, gave us good hand-me-down clothes for our kids and, We managed just fine without a great big television and we discovered others who were generous and we could share tools with the neighbors and things. It was it was just fine. Jesus sets a really good warning there in verse 13, where he says, no one can serve two masters. You'll hate one or you'll love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And if you've ever had to work in two jobs at once or you've. You know, you've been in a job with competing supervisors. You know exactly what Jesus is talking about. You can't have two bosses. It doesn't work. You can't call Jesus Lord if money and possessions rule your life. So here's a bottom line for stewardship, pun intended, right? Bottom line for stewardship is this. When in doubt, remember that people are more precious to God than possessions. People are more precious to God than possessions. This principle is true for you. It's for me. But it's also for us as a church. People matter more than stuff. Again, money and possessions are not evil. This whole Occupy Wall Street thing is, a, is, is not a godly movement. But, I mean, they're necessary, right? Right? But as the Apostle Paul says, God richly gives us. He told, wrote to Timothy in Timothy, 1 Timothy 6.17. God richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Friends, once in a while you need to just get yourself a really good steak. I had a tri-tip last night. Oh, so good. Big baked potatoes. Was so fun. You need to enjoy some of the good things that God has given you. But don't let those be your master. People are more precious than possessions. It is just money. The things you have, the car you drive, it's just stuff. And this principle is why, for example, we maintain this building. This, this past year, there's been a lot that we've done around here. It's not a temple, this building. This building is not even God's house. God doesn't live here in this building. right? But it's the house where we gather to worship. And it's where we gather to invite others to know Him. And it's a place where we fellowship with one another. It's where a place where we open His Word. So because we care about people, we want to make it a beautiful, welcoming, hospitable, attractive place. So when someone spills a coffee or bangs a hole in the wall, we don't freak out. Because people are more important than things. Now it might be a good time to... Kind of formally thank our stewardship team, for example, and the others that helped along with them for the amazing work they managed for our restrooms. I don't know if you've been to our seven restrooms in this building that are like, ah, oh, this is really nice in here. All right. Isn't it been great? Can you give me a hand? You walk in there and it's like, it's nice. Now, we didn't do that to show off. We didn't do that to flaunt wealth or anything like that. We did that because people matter to us. People are important. And whether you've been here for years or you're bringing a friend for the first time, we want you to experience great hospitality. We want you to have a clean, fresh, beautiful restroom, a nicely painted building, attractive landscaping. Thank you, Sod Squad. And more, you know... We're not, you know, ashamed to use an old toilet, but we want to make it a great experience for people who come. So I'm really thankful. <laughs> Did I say that wrong? I might, I'm going to have to listen to the tape and find out what I just said. Here's the funny thing about preaching is that there's about about 15 percent of what you say. You don't realize you said. And so sometimes someone says, you said, I'm like, "I I don't think I said that. But then you listen to the tape and you actually did. The point is, thank you, stewardship committee. I want to come back to what Jesus said in verse nine. I'm embarrassed. I don't even know what I said. Isn't that great? Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. So you'll meet up in an eternal home. In other words, not just hang out with friends you already have. But spend some money to get to know others my challenge it's a, just not a hard thing my challenge is this what could you or i do this week or this month to practice this or make a plan to practice this where or how could you or i intentionally spend a bit of money or other resources time or whatever it is to make some friends with someone who is yet to trust jesus as lord or at the very least you know can you commit to watch for, to be ready for, to invite that kind of opportunity that says, Lord, I want to take what you've given to me and I want to invest it in people so that they're going to meet Jesus and that I'm going to get to spend eternity with them. So I get to spend time here with my friends, but I get to spend eternity with those who are benefiting from those investments. So Jesus says, he says, the lesson is this. Use your worldly goods to make friends so that when your possessions are gone, they'll welcome you into an eternal home. That's a great lesson. We actually got time, Josh, to sing that closing song, if you would come with worship team and lead us in that. And um, while they're coming, let's just take a moment to uh, prayerfully pause. Let's bow our heads together. I don't know why sometimes talking about stewardship and possessions and resources and money makes some of us squeamish. Um, I, I hope you did not hear me asking you to give money to me or even money to this church. What I'm asking for us is to listen to God. Say, God, we want to invest and the things that matter to you. And nothing matters more to, to the Lord than people. So that's how we want to invest. We're managers. And one day we will be called to account. For how we manage what we've been given. And so as we sing this closing song. I just invite you to use this time just to reflect. Lord how am I doing with this? Lord are there ways that I can invest. And, and kind of buy some friends. Make friends with worldly goods so that they can meet you. And then the lastly, just as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you, you may not know Jesus yourself. But someone got you here today or someone's been getting you here for years. And today you're saying, I, I want to do this. i want to give my life to Jesus. Today's my day. And if that's you, I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand and say, yes, I want to give my life to Jesus today. Anybody like that? For the rest of us, we've got our our work cut out for us. What are we going to do to invest so that we're not only surrounded by the people we already know, but we're surrounded by people who are coming to know Christ and that we'll spend an eternal future. We've heard it this morning. We're in a city that's full of people who don't know Jesus yet. And I want to stand before Jesus and say, Jesus, there's others here because we were faithful to you. Let's stand together as we pray. Lord, um, thank you for this parable, as challenging as it is. And I ask even now that you would be working in my heart and in our hearts to look for ways and watch for ways to invest so that your kingdom will expand. We bless you now in the name of Jesus. Amen.